All right, this morning uh, we are beginning a study in the book of Matthew. Uh, we had finished the book of Malachi and uh, discussed how that last book was written and we covered all uh, that in very much detail and then we come off of all this uh, anticipation that uh, the children of Israel had had silence for all those years that the Lord hadn't communicated for some 400 years. And then the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth finally. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, uh, joins us here and begins to live his life as an example. And uh, for our learning and to teach us and to fulfill uh, the Old Testament prophecies and uh, complete the law like we had talked about last week and uh, we're going to begin to look at this book of Matthew and it's an interesting book and uh, by way of we're probably not going to have a whole lot of whopping uh, details today because this is introduction but there are some things that I think uh, are very important that will help us especially especially in this world when we are dealing with other people who have some familiarity with the Bible and uh, sometimes in some Christian uh, organizations, misunderstanding the book of Matthew is a very dangerous place. Uh, and so we're going to set the tone here and uh, remind ourselves of the book of Matthew, its, in, it's, important, its importance, but also to have warning because there are some details here that help us to look at it with the right lens okay and that's very important so i want to go ahead and have a word of prayer and then uh we're going to just start breaking this book down give us some details and things to focus on and uh, as you guys begin to uh read the book of matthew because i know when i am preaching a book or when dan's preaching a book especially when dan says something like go home and read this chapter this afternoon i know you guys do that right all right just even if you're not serious nod make dan feel good you know when dan says go to you know, go to second uh, corinthians chapter four and read that this tonight it'll give you some understanding we all just run home and do that don't we okay i hope you do um but i know sometimes sometimes as we're studying books like timothy that on a friday or a saturday you might just go ahead and read first timothy chapter four so that when you come in on a Sunday morning, what Dan is going to be teaching that the Lord has showed him, you're already going, yes, Lord, I read that yesterday. Okay, so when we're teaching through the book, great idea. So when we're teaching through the book of Matthew, if you read Matthew before Sunday morning, you might have a little clue what we're talking about. All right, did I, did I make that obvious enough? Wink, wink, nod, nod. Okay. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, and it is important as your family that we understand these different portions of Scripture. And Father, uh, we know and focus on the importance of the Old Testament and how it fits together with the New Testament. And Father, with this book of Matthew, it is definitely a transitional book. And Lord, we want to get it in our minds and in, in our uh, 
uh, focus, Lord, where it needs to be so we can avoid some of the hassles and some of the hardships, some of the false teachings that come from this book. And so, Father, I just pray you give us guidance. Help us as we just set the stage to be able to dig into this book. And, Father, help us to be students of the Word. Uh, Lord, your Bible is clear. It doesn't say read to show yourself approved unto God. It says study to show yourself approved unto God. We need to be students of your word. And so, Father, uh, just bless us this morning. Be with my mind as we uh, lay some of these things out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are 400 years into this book of Matthew. Some 400 years of silence, and then God sends his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world. Now, I want to remind us, it wasn't 400 years and the book of Matthew was just written. Okay, The Gospels were written because of the Lord Jesus Christ's advent and because that he lived his life here. And these gentlemen wanted to record, they were led of God to record the Lord Jesus' life. All of the Old Testament was pointing to this coming. That's what we talked about, that God has set up the entire Old Testament. He set apart a people, he set apart a family, he set apart a nation, all to bring forth the Messiah, that anticipated Savior from Genesis chapter 3, all the way on, okay, and the Lord Jesus is finally here. Now, I don't know if that gets you excited, but if I'm thinking at it from the point of view of a uh, Jewish Old Testament believer, I'm going... This is something we have waited for. Now understand, and we'll look at this clearly uh, as we go through the book, not all of the Israelites received Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah, but this is a long-anticipated reality, okay? Just like you and I are waiting for a trumpet to sound. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hinge point. And how many times do we go, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, okay? And we, we're always looking forward to, and again, the, the Bible even nudges us and says there's a crown for those who are anticipating his coming, okay? That's something that's important. So when we get to this portion of scripture, the gospels, what an exciting period of time, Okay, and again, we can spend a lot of time on this, but we live in 2023 right now because of what we're talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ came and our entire dating system for this entire world is based on, upon the fact that Jesus got here. Okay, the Messiah came. Okay, our whole dating system. It is uh, in 2000, we just, what is it, the, the 50th today? Is this the date? Yeah. Okay, so it's January 1, 15, 23 because Jesus came. Okay, so much is hinging on this. So this is an exciting time when we begin to look at Christ himself walk the earth. And we're going to talk about a whole lot more. But I just want to set that tone for us as we're looking at this. Now, um, a proper understanding of the book of Matthew is essential to understand the rest of the New Testament. All right, and this is why this is important. There are things in the book of Matthew that Matthew focuses on that are specifically pointed at different groups of people and if that's not understood it can mess up christianity and it has quite a bit all right uh it is a transitional book we'll break this down a little bit more as we go on this morning but it is still in the old testament economy all right we'll talk about that in a minute all right Mishandling of the book has led to much confusion among religious people for a long time. There are passages in Matthew chapter 24 that are taken out of context and it makes it seem like 
People can tell us that we're living in the tribulation period right now. Okay, there are passages of scripture, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 11, that make it seem like we can lose our salvation because people don't understand the context in which this book is written. Okay, next point. The book was written early in the New Testament time. Some people put it around the 50s, 60s. It could be as early as 37 BC, I mean AD. Just to give you a concept, this is a very early book written right after Jesus walked this earth. All right, so Matthew being eyewitness, the other gospel writers, very early book written in time frame. All right, Matthew's name means gift of Yahweh or gift of the Lord. Okay, just to give you an idea of uh, the the name that God uh, uh, associates with Matthew. Keep going. Okay. Remember who he was. Uh, <laughs> he was one of those 87,000 new IRS agents that were hired. Okay, no, he was a tax collector. And that may not uh, seem difficult in your eyes, but understand something. As a Hebrew, collecting taxes for the Romans made you a bad guy. You were a turncoat. You were not one that... But at the same time, as a tax collector, it was kind of a habit to take some taxes for the Romans and stuff my pocket with a little bit extra too. So he wasn't necessarily a friend to the Romans either. Uh, So poor Matthew. And just understanding who he was will help us a little bit in understanding as he's going through the book and writing things. So... Uh, it was a, he was a wealthy person, professional. Uh, not only did he take taxes, uh, take money for the governors, but they would also uh, add an amount for themselves. They were considered and despised and pretty well disliked by the children of Israel. Okay? And we see this in the story of Matthew's conversion. All right? uh, there are those, Peter, James, Andrew, John, those guys... When they went to Matthew, even those fellows were a little bit set back because they're like, wait just a second. This guy's a tax collector. He's scum. All right? Just to give you an idea of who this fellow Matthew was. Keep going. So why do this study? Well, number one, it's in the Bible. We should be studying it, right? But we have some focus we want to put out and things we want to think about specifically. Number one, it will protect us against false teaching. There are quite a few um, unfortunate teachings that have crept into the church and into cults, okay, because of teach, because of misunderstanding of the book of Matthew. Okay, one of my best friends um, in the ministry had preached a uh, a whopper. He won the uh, the pastor's preaching award at college, and he preached a sermon from Matthew. And, um, you know, as, at graduation, because he was the winner of the speaker's uh, award, so he got a chance to stand up and speak. And years later, we laugh because we look at that uh, sermon that he preached, and it was completely doctrinally incorrect. Because it was preached out of Matthew, and it was taken completely out of context. And realizing that what he was saying and re- interpreting Matthew, even though it says it in Matthew... There's a, we have to handle it very, very carefully because Matthew is a transitional book. All right? Uh, false cults, take them out of context. Through proper understanding of this book, these false teachings will not be an issue. 
All right, and I'm, this will be educational for us because if you say, somebody turns and says, well, the Bible says this, and they flip to Matthew, you can automatically go, okay, wait just a second. Okay, in my mind, I already know that Matthew is not written for that purpose. Are you with me so far? Don't lose me. Like I said, this is intro. It's more scholastic and things like that. All right. We will exercise proper rules of Bible study. Uh, we do Bible study rules and tools study here. We're going to be putting into practice some of those very much. A lot of times when we go to reading the scripture and teaching it, we're just taking the scripture and teaching it. But it's going to be important that we understand why we're looking at the book in the way we're looking at it. Okay? So we're going to incorporate some of the important rules of Bible study. Dan mentioned one of them this morning. He said the rule of first mention. Okay, that's one of those things you just keep in your mind. Like, oh, if this is the first time the Lord says this, a lot of times that's how he continues it through his whole word. That's just a rule of Bible study that you keep in mind. We're going to go over some of those. Number three, we'll be looking at some important life issues like we always do when we bring up God's word. There will be things here that will help us in our daily walk, that we can be better servants, better ministers, better declarers of the gospel. All right. <clears throat> so, an easy breakdown. How many of you can count to five? All right. I know it's tough, especially on a Sunday morning. We go one, two, I got lost after two. Okay. Um, so this is just the way we laid this out. Um, there, one thing, two things, three things, four. Now I sound like a Dr. Seuss book. Okay, number one, the theme of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, just to give you an idea, the, king, the word kingdom is used from some 57 times in this book alone. All right, now, without teaching a whole lot about this, because we'll be getting into it, because as you'll see, as the theme, most of the book of Matthew is written in regards to the fact that there is a king. Okay, what are we are told later on that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Okay, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has come. The book of Matthew is focused, almost laser focused, on the fact that there's a king. All right, keep that in mind. That is what we're talking about when the book of Matthew. All right, uh, number two, there are two rejections. So number one, there are one king. Number two, two rejections, the rejection of the kingdom and the rejection of the king. So the first part of the book, the kingdom is presented, okay? And guys, if you, uh, we'll read through it again without, bless you, for so much going on, uh, we didn't want to lay out all these scriptures, but how many times does it say the kingdom of heaven is at hand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The John the Baptist stands up, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is at hand over and over and over. The focus of the first part of the book is the kingdom of heaven is right here. Okay? It's on the verge of being completed. Okay? And that's the focus of the beginning of Matthew. And the children of Israel decide they don't want anything to do with it. Okay? Uh, the Beatitudes, so many things uh, that Jesus teaches is all about the kingdom of heaven is. Boom. Okay. Then the latter half of the book is not only are they rejecting the kingdom, which Jesus is coming and presenting. Hey, guys, remember your whole Old Testament and that it's pointing to a kingdom and that kingdom of heaven is right at hand? 
then all of a sudden the people start getting upset with Jesus because they don't understand that he's not here to uh, upset the apple cart. He's not here to take the authority away from the Pharisees, which was what they assumed, okay, that they begin to reject the king. So in the beginning, they're not ready to hear what the kingdom is all about as, God, as Jesus lays out all these things. Remember we looked last week in Malachi that Jesus didn't come to change the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to complete it. And so when Jesus is saying the kingdom of he is here and here's what completes it, these are all the pieces you guys need to understand. They don't want anything to do with it. And they get so upset with him that later on they begin to reject the king. And eventually they hang him on a cross and put a sign above him that says, Behold, the king of the Jews. Okay, this entire book is focused on a king and a kingdom. All right, and that's something that's very important that we understand. Okay, uh, we will go more into it in the kingdom of heaven next week, but the, he is written as a king to the Jews not to the Gentiles. And that's very important that we understand that. All right? Number three. So we have one theme, two rejections, three. I have no one at my, I have no one at the keyboard. <laughs> there she is. All right. Three obvious divisions in the Bible. Um, I love sometimes when God, most of the time, we don't easily see it, when God lays out pretty, divisions pretty easily. The book of Revelation is a great book for this. He has four chapters and a door opens. He has a bunch more chapters, another door opens. And then it's easy, okay? Three sections, and in between the sections, a door opens. Okay, pretty easy. Here, in the book of Matthew, is kind of the same way. That there's three easy sections to this book, because Jesus does something, and then it says, and from that time... Jesus does something different. And then again, it says, and from that time, Jesus does something different. So it's very easy to lay this thing out because Jesus changes the way he be begins to do things. All right, in regards to that. So number one, uh, the first section is the preparation of the king. Okay, we see the whole section. We see the uh, genealogies we'll look toward. We see uh, John the Baptist talking about him. We see everything talked about to prepare him to be presented to the children of Israel as their king. Okay, then we, here's this verse. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say. So there we have a, a division. So up until chapter 4, then it says, and now, at that point in time, Jesus begins to do something. Okay, then we see the next one. The public ministry of the king, all right? And this is basically how to break that down. I know this is more notes than thinking, but um, it talks about the first chapters of Jesus' teaching, then 8 through 10 is his miracles, then 11 through 16 is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so these are the ways it's laid out. So number one, they prepare him. Number two, he gets up and starts preaching and doing the ministry that God has laid out for him to do. All right, you with me so far? All right, then, chapter 16, verse 21, from that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. 
So Jesus spends the time preaching and doing his public ministry, and there's a deliberate, specific time when Jesus starts to say to the disciples, and now let me tell you what's going to go on. I'm going to be denied, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again. Okay, from that point forward. So there's a definite break here. So when you, if you say, ha, my devotions this week has me reading in uh, Matthew chapter 10, you don't automatically understand where that is. That's right in the middle of Jesus' public ministry. That's part of the miracles that Jesus was doing. Okay, gives you a good concept on how to kind of walk through this book, a little map. All right, next, ver- uh, next part. Then the last one, of course, is the passion of the king. When we talk about that, his, his death, burial, and resurrection, you all remember the passion of the Christ movie that came out. Okay, um, Jesus from that point says, from now on, guys, I'm going to start telling you that I'm going to be dying for sins of this world. And then the rest of the book is talking about his crucifixion, how he was uh, betrayed, arrested, beaten, tried, tried again in these illegal trials, and then finally crucified. So, next section. Okay, we had one theme, the kingdom, two rejections, three sections. Okay, now I want to talk about four gospels, and this is where as I'm stumbling across things on my phone, TikTok videos and things of that sort, and you'll hear people try to discuss certain things about the Bible and say that there are um, contradictions in the scriptures. Okay, I want us to understand very carefully that God took four Gospels to describe the Lord Jesus Christ to us. All right, four full, four full books of the Bible to describe Jesus to us, all right? Four different perspectives. They are in complete agreement, okay, with four specific purposes. Our Lord is so awesome that God chose four books to describe him. Now, with that in mind, let me give you an illustration. Um, You, from where you're standing, can describe what this pulpit looks like, right? You can look at it and say there's, you know, there's... A microphone standing on it. It's made of wood. It's got like three different kind of sections here. What has it got a cross on it behind there? Um, but from my perspective, now what if I told you there's a door on the back of this thing that pops open? Okay. Do you guys see the door? No. Is the door there? Yeah, you may not think it's not there because you don't see it from your perspective. There's a door, opens up right there. Okay? The issue is when you look at something from a different perspective, it gives you further knowledge of that. It expands your understanding of it. Okay, if I were to ask somebody to come and sit in one of these two seats and describe it, then wouldn't we have a better description of the entire pulpit? See, all of you are looking at the pulpit from that side. You can't see anything that's on the back. Okay, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know that I've inscribed my name on there, that he is awesome. No, okay. No, nothing like that. But that is why it's important to understand how the four Gospels work. The four Gospels are four different men that the Lord led to write about the Lord Jesus, and they all write about him from a different perspective. So just because one Gospel might mention something that another Gospel doesn't mention, 
it doesn't mean that there's not a door. Okay, so if John, in his gospel, writes something about Jesus that Matthew didn't write, it doesn't mean that there's a, a, uh, a problem with the scripture. It just meant John is focusing on something that Matthew's not. And that's very important because you will hear people say, well, if that's really true, how come Matthew didn't say it and only John said it? Okay, because it's a different perspective. All right, and we're going to, this is so important. If there's anything that I want to remind us to hang on to this morning, this would be the thing. That Matthew is writing this book for a different reason than Mark, Luke, and John wrote, those, wrote their books. Okay, and we'll break that down here in a second. All right. Four different perspectives. Number one, Matthew is presenting Jesus Christ as king. That is Matthew's purpose. And Matthew is presenting the king to those who are waiting for a king. Who was waiting for a king? The Jews. Gentiles, they had kings, they had hundreds of them. Okay? There is one group of people that is waiting for a king according to the Old Testament prophecies, and that was the Jews. Matthew is specifically presenting Jesus Christ as king to a throne of their father David. Okay, and we'll look at that as we break this down. Okay, Matthew is very specific. So, with that in mind, I'm going to put a couple teasers out there, but this is going to be a focus throughout the whole book, is if we read things about a king and descriptions of this king of the Jews, does that have anything to do with you and I as Gentiles? Right? We can learn about Jesus, we can understand Jesus, but when we're talking about here is what Jesus is to you guys, the Jews, as your king, that has nothing to do with me as a Gentile in the church. Okay, We're going to look at this very clearly. All right, Now, when Dan went through the book of John, the Gospel of John, John is written to present Jesus as God to the whole world. Does that have to do with me? Yes, that does have to do with me. It is not focused on Jesus as king of the Jews. It is focused on the son of God, savior of the world. So when I read the book of John, I can go, hey, I'm part of the world. But there are certain things. Now, remember, I, I, I use this illustration. And I don't mean to beat it to death, but it is an amazing illustration to keep it. If I write my wife a love letter, okay, you remember the story. Okay, we're going to go out on a date, how much I love her, it's wonderful. And I happen to drop that letter on the ground. And another lady happens to pick that letter up and begin to read it. All right? And say, oh, pastor loves me. He can't wait to have a, have a wonderful romantic dinner at McDonald's. I mean, uh, at... okay, that wouldn't be appropriate because it wasn't written to that person. It was written to her specifically. So the issue with Matthew, and we'll be looking at this as we study the whole book, is there are certain things written in the book of Matthew that is directed specifically at the Jews in light of their king. Well, the problem is too many churches go into the book of Matthew and try to get church teaching and how the church should handle and what the church should do because they read passages in the book of Matthew. And those passages were never written to the church. So if it'll say this and that and the other, oh, this is what we should do, because Matthew says, Matthew was written to the Jews to present a king. You want to talk about books that are written to the church? 
How about the epistle of Romans, Colossae, Thessalonica, you know, Ephesus? All those books are written to churches. If we want understanding on what we should do as a church, we write, read books that are written to churches. Okay, there's the issue, and that's the focus uh, we're going to look at in this entire book. As we go through it, we have to look at it in the lens of, why is Matthew writing this? Oh, that's right, he wants the Jews to understand that their king has come. Not so that Bethel Bible Church could do exactly what is spoken of in Matthew. You with me so far? Okay, this is so important. If this is the one thing we leave with this morning, is I want us to understand that the book of Matthew was never written to church people. It was written to the Jews to present Jesus as king. Now, can we learn amazing stuff about Jesus from Matthew? Absolutely. Can we learn personal things about ourselves that God would like to see in people in general? Yes. But the specifics of the book are designed to remind the people, and we just came out of Malachi, remember? Malachi, they weren't keeping the law, they weren't doing what they should, and those who did were keeping the testimonies and the commandments and all those things. Okay, God was proud of them. Jesus comes, and the book of Matthew starts teaching about, you know, all those Old Testament laws that you've been keeping, that you've been doing. I'm here to give you more instruction on that, Jews, but not Gentiles, okay? Um, and then we look at, of course, Mark presents Jesus Christ as a servant. And Mark, if you ever read Mark's writing, it's a very short gospel compared to the others. And he's uh, writing it more like headlines in a newspaper. Okay, Mark is a lot more right to the point. Here's what happened. Boom, let's move on. Okay, Luke, we know that Luke presents him as man. And Luke, the doctor, gives us so many details and so much interesting stuff about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that because he presents him as one of us. That Jesus Christ dwelt on this earth as a man and God together. If he was not 100% man, he could not have died for man's sin. If he was not 100% God, he couldn't have been able to pay the price for sin. Okay, there's amazing things. Okay, so we have four Gospels that present four different perspectives of Jesus, and each one of them have to be taken carefully. All right, keep going. Um, <laughs> Those of us who studied uh, Job with me recently understand that there are different images in the Bible that present this exact four perspectives. The cherubim have faces of a lion, face of a man, face of an eagle, face of an oxen. Also, there are others, four beasts and different ones. These same four perspectives that the Gospels give out are repeated in several other places in the Scripture. Okay, that's just a tease for those of you who like to dig a little deeper. When you see this, these cherubs who have four different faces, and all four of those faces are represented in the same pictures that the Gospels give out. And they're an image of God and, and that complete perspective. Keep going. All right, told you to count to five, right? Okay, one theme, the kingdom, two rejections, all right, three easy sections, four different Gospels and four different perspectives, and then five major sermons. And I think some of these are probably familiar to us just reading them. Okay, we know the Sermon on the Mount. We know the Olivet Discourse. Okay, Jesus in chapter 10 begins to teach about missions. He begins to teach in parables of chapter 13, which is an amazing thing when we get there. There's a certain part in which the Jews reject the kingdom, and from that point forward, Jesus doesn't speak to them except for in parables. 
He says, you don't want to hear how I fulfill the prophecy? You don't want to understand the truth laid out as clear as, a, as day as I'm sitting here describing all this? From this point forward, I'm going to talk to you in parables. And the apostles say, why are you talking in parables, Jesus? And he's saying, because those of you who want to believe what I'm saying can see it clearly. Those who don't want to believe, their eyes are closed. They're not going to see it. It is all based upon how much do we trust the Lord Jesus Christ? How much do we believe God's word? Okay, in chapter 13 um, is where that transition is made. And then in chapter, uh, all the way up to chapter 18, Jesus is teaching about discipleship and how he is going to form a church. Okay, you remember the passage with, uh, with uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, with Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, that God is now, Jesus is moving on to, all right, there's a kingdom, there's a kingdom, and there's going to be a transition. And as a matter of fact, there's an amazing verse we'll look at next week that Jesus actually, at the end of the book, says, um, I'm actually going to take the kingdom of God from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. Because God makes a transition from the Jewish rebellion, because they don't want their Messiah, and gives it to the church, and God says, I'm going to start working my, the kingdom of God through them. Amazing stuff here when you understand this book. All right, next, next section. The proper approach. Now, we've said this before, and I want to address this. There are several books in the New Testament that we have to understand are not written directly to the church. Okay, you pick up that love letter off the ground. You better read who it's written to before you start listening. Okay, I'm not taking any of you to McDonald's. I'm sorry. All right, the book of Matthew is one of those books. It was written to present the king to the Jews. The book of Acts is another one of those. The book of Acts starts out with the apostles who don't have a church, who are all Jews, to a Jewish church, completely Jewish, to a church in Jerusalem, which is losing vision of what God wants them to do, and God scatters them to a fully Gentile church in Antioch. And it goes off the focus off of the apostles and on to Paul and Barnabas and Silas and those guys. So it's a transition book. So again, how many times have you heard um, weird teaching coming out of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3? Because those are written to a specific group of people, to a fully Jewish church in Jerusalem. By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, around chapter 14, 15, you start looking at a church that is solely Gentile and no longer in Jerusalem, and the apostles are no longer involved. Okay? Then we talked about these other ones. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. <laughs> Okay, and the book of James is also, the book of James, the first verse says, to the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so when we have to understand, making sure we have the proper approach to these books, when I go open the book of James and start reading it, I have to realize it's not written to Bethel Bible Church. Now, is there a lot of great things we can learn? Absolutely. But it's not written to me. Now, as we go on, and if you've ever done any studying into cults and false religions and false doctrine, almost 99% of them will come from those four books. Because people don't understand that book was not written 
to the New Testament church. You talk about looking at uh, works salvation versus grace. They go to the book of James, where James says, you show me my, your faith by, you know, I'll show you mine by my works. Well, that's written to the Jews. You talk about tongues and all the confusion that comes about that. They go to Acts chapter 2 and look at Acts and start saying, see, this is something for the New Testament church. No, that was for an exclusively Jewish church where God was using a sign gift to give authority to what was being spoken. Okay, over and over we find these false doctrines coming out of, generally, 99% of these are come out of these four books. So it's important as we're studying the book of Matthew, as we're setting the stage here, that you and I understand we have to take this in context. And that'll be a point in just a second. All right, keep going. Rules of Bible study. Go ahead and hit the first one. Everything in context. Okay, you have to take it in context. You pick that letter off the floor that I dropped. It's not written to you. It is written to my beloved, wonderful, beautiful, amazing Kimberly. Okay. That's what is in context. You can't take that and say, oh, this stuff was written to me. No, it's not. Okay, context is utmost important. All right, nothing, not just about the Bible or from the Bible, we need to teach the Bible. You can't just pull some verses out and say this applies. All right, uh, one of my favorite uh, things that I didn't write it down, but uh, somebody had pulled out verses in the Bible and it said, um, uh, Judas hanged himself. And it says, uh, another verse you can pull right out of context says, uh, Go do thou likewise. And then another verse you can pull out says, What thou doest, go do quickly. So I can pull out three verses and tell you guys, you should all go hang yourselves. Okay? You can't do that, but people do it continuously. Pull verses out of context. And I appreciate when Dan is teaching and myself, that will say, hey, this verse, many times people will take it out of context to make one point, and it's true, it deals with that point, but you have to look at how it fits into the passage. All right, and there's where a lot of danger comes out. If you start pulling verses out and they don't fit, you know, you're jamming a jigsaw puzzle piece into the wrong spot. You might be able to get it to, it to fit with a pair of scissors and a hammer, but it doesn't mean it belongs there. Okay, context is extremely important. And that's one of the things we will be focusing a lot on in the book of Matthew. Number two, um, Hebrews. For this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressors, that we were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. Keep going. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. This is the important context of the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is not a New Testament book. Okay, we've said that before. The book of Matthew is not a New Testament book. The book of Mark is not a New Testament book. The book of Luke is not a New Testament book. Guess what? The book of John? Not a New Testament book. All right, now, is it accompanying all the books that were written after Jesus was here on the earth? Absolutely. But does it fit 
with New Testament teaching? No, because the death of the testator did not take place yet. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all about the life of Jesus Christ. Well, Hebrews makes it very clear to us that a testament doesn't come to force until the testator is dead. So when we're reading all these things that Jesus is teaching his disciples, his apostles face to face, that is still in Old Testament economy, not New Testament. Jesus hasn't died yet. And there's a lot of stuff. Guys, remember the, the sermon we had a few years back that talked about the 47 things that happened the moment that Jesus Christ died, rose from the grave? That all of a sudden we get sanctification, we get glorification, we get forgiveness, we get... None of those took place while Jesus was still alive on this planet. None of these things that you and I have as church people Okay, as New Testament believers in the local church, none of those things were available while Christ was still on this earth. So we look at those apostles and go, wow, they're just like church. No, they were not. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those guys, none of those guys were members of a church because the church didn't exist. So even though, and I know that's hard because we say, oh, well, the first couple of books of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but they do not fit into New Testament doctrine. They are Old Testament in their scope. Okay, Why do you think that Jesus, we just read it a couple of weeks ago about his birth, why do you think on the eighth day they wound up bringing him to the, tabernacle, uh, to the temple to get him circumcised and name him? Because they were still under the Old Testament law. Okay, why do you think when he was 12 years old he was lost and in the temple teaching the scribes and Pharisees? Because that was the custom of that day that his family had to go offer offerings. Okay, all the life of Christ is still under Old Testament rules. Those Old Testament rules are not fully completed and fully dissolved and, you know, I hate the word dissolved because that makes it seem like they were done away with. They were not. They were not completed, they were not satisfied until Christ shed his blood, died, and rose again. The moment that that happened, the New Testament kicks in. Because without the death of the testator, there is no... Can you imagine showing up at lawyer's office and saying, uh, here's my mom's will, and, um, and I'd like uh, to get my inheritance. And they'll say, oh, well, when did your mom die? Oh, well, she is not dead yet. He's going to laugh at you. Because you can't get the testament, the will, you can't do, get into that until the person has passed away. This is the same thing with these books. And this is why sometimes that this is misunderstood, that these are not church epistles. These are the Gospels. Okay, They are still under the Old Testament system until Christ dies. So these are the life of Christ and his teaching and a picture, a very broad, four-book-wide picture of Christ. But they're not New Testament church books. So we have to look at them in context with a proper perspective. When Jesus is talking to these folks, he is not talking to a single, not one of these people belong to a church. Yeah, they might have belonged to the synagogue, but that's Jewish, not New Testament. Okay, you with me? So it's important as we begin to look into this, and as you and I are dealing with other believers and other people, if they bring up the book of Matthew, we have to go, no, wait a second, or even Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay? 
that we have to understand. A lot of the truth there is amazing, but there's not a single church person that this is written to or about. Okay? These are specifically designed to present the Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching to anyone. But to look in there and say, okay, you see what Luke says? We ought to be doing this every Sunday morning. It's like, wait a minute, that was Jewish custom, Jewish law, because it's still under the Old Testament economy. All right? The Gospels are not written to teach us how to be Christians in the church age. That's what the epistles are for. Keep going. All Scripture is written for us, but not all Scripture is written to us. Okay, and that's the key. I drop a love letter. You better check who it's written to. Okay, you may learn some stuff from that wonderful love letter and how much I love to go to McDonald's on romantic dates with my wife. Okay, but it's not written to you. There are so many bad doctrines and religions because people have tried to apply the Gospels to the church. Now, is there a lot of background truth that can help us mold our behavior? Because we were look, if you were to say, I want to be like Christ... And four books that are written about how Christ was, yeah, there's a lot of amazing things we can learn. But if we say, this is how we should function in our church, that's a little different. Okay? So we have to be careful. Next slide. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So the first of the Bible studies was remember it in context. Number two is rightly divide the word of truth. Okay? Which means you and I need to work. Uh, I, like a pastor friend always talks to me about how much he hates division. Addition, subtraction, those things are pretty easy. Even multiplication is not too bad. But division is something you have to work at. And you have to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, So please remember this, and this is a, a good point for all of us, whether we're listening to teaching here or someplace else, if something can be rightly divided, that means it also could be wrongly divided. Right? You with me? If God's saying you better do it right, that means it can be done wrong. So that doesn't mean, that means that every time you hear somebody talking about God's word doesn't necessarily mean it was rightly divided, right? That we have to be good students of the book. And so, I'll preface that with for Dan and myself, if ever we are talking about the word of God and you go, you're wondering, come talk to us. Because we're not God's answer to rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to do our best. But if you've got a question, don't go, I don't understand that. Well, I guess I'll just come talk to us and say, Why did, what, let me see that again. And we can open up God's word because we're not infallible. There's not a single preacher in the world that's infallible. This is infallible. As long as we are rightly dividing this thing, and again, I think I wrote up there, it'd be like cutting as straight as you possibly can. We've got some machinists here who deal with things down to the micron, right? You've got these micrometers and stuff, making sure everything is gauged just perfectly. That's what we're talking about, you know, not just haphazardly, ah, let me take my axe and hack at it. Rightly dividing, this is a term that is used for tailors and things like that, cutting a pattern perfectly. Take some work. We need to be rightly dividing his truth, Okay. Uh, that verse, go back real quick, I didn't read it. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. All three of those terms remind us that it's an effort that needs to be taken, right? Okay, studying, 
working, rightly dividing. Okay, keep going. Three groups of people in the scripture. I should have bolded that. This is the other one of the other rules of Bible study. There are three groups of people according to the Bible. Now, does he name the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Ninevites and the Hippites and the Skedabites and all those? Yes, he does. Okay, but in the scripture, there are three general categories of people. And here's that verse. Give not offense neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor the church of God. Those are the three general groups of people that we find in the Bible. Okay, if you are a Jew, you're a Hebrew, you're a descendant from the, uh, Abraham, you're a descendant from Israel himself. If you're a Gentile, that means you're not. Hello, I think and most of us are in here are Gentiles. And then there's something cool that Jesus did when he died on the cross. If you and I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, he takes both a Jew and a Gentile and makes one thing brand new, and that is a Christian. Okay, so you're either Jew, Gentile, or you're a believer, which puts you in the church. With me so far? Because we're going to talk about that. We're going to say this is not written to the Gentiles. This is written to the Jews. This is not written to the church. This is written to the Jews. We have an understanding of exactly who we're talking about. All right, last bit. The theme of the Bible is God's kingdom. And this is what I want to leave us with this morning. We come here to study God's word because God has a kingdom. We go out into this world and preach the gospel because God has a kingdom. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins because God has a kingdom. God created this amazing universe because God has a kingdom. Okay? So often in the next part of the slide says, not, the theme of the Bible is not salvation. And sometimes we get that messed up. We think God, everything that God is doing in this creation in time from beginning to end is all about me. Because, right, isn't that what salvation is? Salvation is about us. It's never been about us. It has always been about him. Long before there was an us, he was. Right? I am the self-existent one. Before there was creation, before there was an angel, before there was a molecule, God and his kingdom existed. The theme of the Bible has always been. Now, please don't get this confused with this idea of there's a kingdom theology. I'm not talking about a kingdom theology. I'm just talking about before anything else was, God, the king, has been sitting on the throne in his kingdom. Period. Okay? Salvation is how you and I can get back into the right relationship with the king. How we can spend eternity in the kingdom. All right? With that in mind, if the book of Matthew is focused on a king and a kingdom, we have to realize the entire Bible is written about a king and a kingdom. Okay? Those, man, guys, in Job, we were talking about how long before any of this earth existed, there was God sitting on his throne. That's what this is about. We have to remember, if we make it about us, we're losing it. Remember I said in, in Sunday school time when we were pray, uh, before uh, Dan came up that everything we come to do here at church is about him? Well, I'm here to learn God's word. Why? 
Because God wants us to be better servants. I'm here to edify my brothers. Why? Because God told me I ought to edify my brothers. I'm here to praise Him for His love, His mercy, His grace, His creation, everything. It's always all about Him. And we lose focus if we don't understand the entire focus of everything we do is because of God and His kingdom. We just happen to have the privilege to be a part of it. And if we lose that mentality, that's all of a sudden why things get out of focus. And we start doing things like Job. What was Job? Woe is me. Why is all this stuff happening to me? And granted, uh, no, no, I'm not throwing Job under the bus. He had every right to complain. It was a tough situation. But God's reminder was, Job, it has always been all about me. And that's why the song we just sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." If we realize everything going on around us, our life, our heartbeat, our breath, His Word, our church, everything we do is all about what He is doing in this world. He has a plan. He's working His plan. He's working it cosmically. He's working it here on God's earth. He's working it in each one of our lives. There is a king and there is a kingdom. And if you ask Jesus to be your savior, you're part of that. Try that again. If you ask Jesus to be your savior, you're part of that. Give me a smile. So as we approach this book of Matthew, there's going to be some exciting things because we're going to learn about the king. But also, we're going to learn how to be careful on how to look at this book so that we don't get twisted up in some of our teachings amen all right love you thank you for bearing with me introductions to books about all this the, where his name and when it was written and all that stuff's kind of dry but if there's one thing with you can leave with today is that we have an amazing savior named jesus christ who god took four full books in his bible to write about the different perspectives to help us have understanding of who he is and we're going to look at the king coming up real soon amen let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you for your